welcome to this, the second episode with Latimer Aldor as we explore the topic of net zero and what it means for the UK, the world, humankind. Latimer. Thanks, John. Yeah, you, you always give me a great billing. I'm not sure we can do all of those things tonight, but let's try and uh, let's try and do a little bit further, go a little bit more beyond the one that we did a couple of weeks ago. It's quite a lot of things have happened in the net zero world in the last two or three weeks, and it's worth us taking a few moments to look at them. Yeah. But let's start once again by let's start once again as we did last time by just refreshing our memory what this net zero thing is all about. And the way to do that is to go back five years to 2018, to the days when Greta Thunberg first appeared on a on the TV screens, and the idea of net zero was raised among the political classes and so forth as as the answer to all our problems. Yeah. The idea of net zero says that climate change is such a big problem for the world that the only way we can do anything to solve this problem is to effectively stop burning fossil fuels to make ourselves net zero, net zero carbon dioxide, zero plus carbon dioxide, the output of burning fossil fuels. And that if only we can do that, we can stop climate change at some point in the future. We'll have a wonderful, glorious climate. Our our climate change problem will be solved. And by the way, according to its promoters, we can do all this at almost zero cost with almost zero difficulty. And um, why on earth haven't we done it before? No, the politician... Yep. politicians that kind of spiel is extremely attractive it, yeah. it's a vote winner it's all gain and no pain and round about 2018 there was a rush of people to sign up to do net zero in one way or another it was building on the stuff people had been doing at climate conferences for 30 years saying we all must reduce emissions that should have been a slight warning sign to them if they'd look back at those 30 years to see that They'd all talked about reducing emissions, but they continued stubbornly going up, as indeed they have now. Yeah. But nobody really stopped to think too much about the uh, the practicalities in net zero. They just looked at the looked at the glossy marketing brochure effectively they had, and they all voted for it. And in UK, for example, we've we voted in I think or Parliament voted in 20, in 2018 that we should be a net zero country. With some exceptions, uh, but net zero in name, at least by 2050, which was 32 years away. And yeah. everything was lovely and rosy. Yeah. Now, John, yeah? Yeah, I, I've, I've done a little bit of research since we last spoke, you know, just to yeah. just to make it seem that I'm not completely ignorant of the situation, perhaps. And I, I, was, I, I thought maybe that net zero meant that you reduced your carbon emissions to the point where you weren't making any carbon emissions. But that's actually not the case. So, so net zero is all about reducing your carbon emissions if you can. But if you can't, you're then allowed to sequestrate carbon, you know, carbon capture, whether it be by natural yeah. means or by or by artificial means, you know, like capturing carbon out the air. And mm-hmm. and you could actually get away with saying and, and and companies are doing this, for instance, like BP, they're effectively saying we'll be net zero by twenty fifty, but they're really not doing an awful lot about it. 
because what they're banking yep. on is new technologies to come in at the 11th hour and, um, and yep. allow them to capture carbon without them actually reducing emissions. And the wow. other thing, the other thing that really intrigued me about companies saying they're going net zero is they only apply it to what they're doing. So, for instance, like BP would apply it to their extraction and their drilling and all that but not what the customer does with the product. That's not part of their net zero. So um, they'll still sell petrol and it doesn't count. Absolutely. And, and you'll, you'll notice there's also some exceptions that says it's net zero apart from in a particular set of circumstances. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's a political... It's a political... I was going to say fraud. It's not quite that, but it's a political setup. That gives them the illusion of being net zero without actually doing it. You, you can also say, well, I'm going to plant a tree. So if I fly yeah. from New York to Los Angeles and I plant two trees, well, I'm actually positively doing good for the planet or something. Yeah. So it's all a bit of a con. But, it, but the general prospect is to reduce the emissions to a, to a much lower level and thereby solve the, quotes, climate change problem. That then asks, we need to ask the question, which I think we touched on last time, but I think it's a question that's worth asking again, is is it worthwhile to actually ah. reduce carbon emissions? <laughs> that's a bigger topic than I think we can cover tonight, to be honest, John. Yeah, let's, yeah. Let's do... But it's Let's something. Do another podcast. Yeah, it's, on me is is this sensible at all? Yeah, well, I think so because I think that's um, that's something that we'll maybe want to lead into in the next um, the next podcast or the one after yeah. that. And it's something to Let's keep try. in mind, you know, people out there when you're yeah. listening, keep in mind we're doing this, but is it a sensible approach? Indeed, you're absolutely right. But that's that is a very very big topic. Um, and there are so many different points of view. But what I was, what I thought we might talk about tonight, as a follow-on from what we did a month or so ago, is just what's changed in the last sort of month. And we can see that the themes we were developing last month are continuing along the way. Okay. Um. So last, so 2018, all was well. Everything was superb. We were going down this net zero route. It was going to cost us nothing. It was going to solve all our problems. And by 2023, the world looks very different because it's a lot closer in time. It's now uh, 27 years, not 32 years. So that's 80%, uh, 20% of the time has already gone. So it's getting closer and people having to focus on actually doing it rather than just talking about it. And the most remarkable thing is that having talked about it all in 2018, it is still that three quarters of the world don't give a monkeys about it. Yeah. The developing countries, whenever you look at it, really they might they might pay lip service to it. They might, if they're suitably inclined, look at the ideas. Well, if we say nice things about climate, the bit the rich Western nations might give us some money. Um, so let's say some nice things about climate, but they don't actually look upon it as a big enough problem for them to need to do anything about it. And that's perfectly their right, and I can quite understand why they wouldn't. So with 80% of the world not doing it, it's down to really the big, what you call the Anglosphere, 
the Brits, the Americans, the Canadians, the Australians, and the rest of mainland Europe, so France, Germany, north of Italy, the Norwegian, Scandinavian countries, and, and a few others. But in general, these are the only ones who are actively going for net zero. And in all of those countries, today's politicians are looking back at the difficulties, that they're looking forward to the difficulties this thing actually causes. And I think the analogy we used last last time was was ferreting putting a ferret up a drain pipe you know ferret little yeah. furry creature going up a drain pipe and guys around the world are now looking at this commitment they've made looking at the difficulties of doing it and they're trying to desperately reverse ferret themselves down the drain pipe and that is proving a lot harder than, than they might have thought they can't literally say we're not going to do net zero at all because the embarrassment of that would be huge but equally they can't continue doing it in any serious way because it's far too difficult and far too expensive and far too disruptive and it would be electric electoral kryptonite Mm -hmm. so the politicians are in a bit of a bind and what we'll look at is some of the things where that bind is coming along so that takes us to today Um, one thing I do notice when I post stuff on Twitter, as you know, I do a lot of that, yeah. mm-hmm. is that when I post something that looks unusual, particularly things about temperature or whatever, I always post the, the absolute official numbers because yep. that's the way to, to avoid arguments. But sometimes I present them in a way that people haven't seen before. And there's almost a religious, heretical um, reaction to these things that I, you know, if I show a temperature graph that doesn't look like the, the only one they've ever seen, yeah, because I've changed the scale or whatever, it's as if I've you know painted a picture of the prophet or something, yeah. And, and there's a huge religious element involved in much of this net zero stuff. Well, uh, people don't do it. Yeah, I think you're right, and I think I think it extends to to climate. Well, the problem is I don't think it is climate climate science. I think it is a religion because they keep banding about the words denier. That's not something you need. Yeah. you know you don't use that word in science. You know, if someone challenges, no. someone can challenge your theory or your hypothesis or even your facts. If they've got a valid challenge, then that's fine. But you know, no, no one side or the other calls the other side a denier. So this, this, exactly, this strange word that's been borrowed from religion seems to be coming more and more to the fore. And I, I, I must admit, I don't like the use of it. I think it's it's wrong. The other thing I've noticed recently is over the last week or the last few days is there seems to be this obsession with um, surface. Uh, you know, surf, uh, sea surface temperatures, and mm-hmm. and but everything dates from 1984. They don't take a they don't take a temperature before 1984, and yet when you actually zoom out, like you were saying, you know, when you present the graph and you zoom out a bit and you go beyond 1984, you find that it was really warm earlier on, and it, 1984 tends to be the low point, which is. Okay. Kind of disingenuous when they start presenting stuff that only starts on the low point. Right. Yeah. There's there's all sorts of things like that. Um, the more you you delve into the detail, and the more you kind of just even poke a little bit at the at the accepted narrative, it's as if you know you've misunderstood how the Trinity works or something like that. Yeah. Um, the most 
recent one which was like that is I don't know if you saw that in Ireland there is a, a, pl- a plan in Ireland to, to keep the EU happy that they're going to slaughter uh, 10 or 20 percent of their dairy cattle yeah. to reduce the methane emissions and by reducing the methane emissions they will save the climate yeah well, I remember I remember when I was a very little lad I got sent to Sunday school while my mum was doing making the, the Sunday roast. And we learned about Abraham and Moses and all these guys who started slaughtering goats right? as a religious thing. And if they slaughtered enough goats to their God, then God would bless them or whatever it might have forgotten all the details. But it seems to me these guys are doing exactly the same as that primitive religion. They're trying to slaughter animals to save the climate and appease the gods. Yeah. Very, very odd idea. Yeah. Uh, Greta Thunberg has been awarded a, an honorary doctorate, which is, of course, very nice, uh, by the University of Helsinki. But um, it's not for her work in climate or in physics or in any form of science. She's got an honorary doctorate in theology. That's interesting. <laughs> That's a bit of a that diversion, kind of especially after us. Of... Sorry, especially after us talking all about you know deniers and the religious connotations, and suddenly Greta gets an honorary doctorate in theology. Oh, exactly. Well, that that kind of tells me quite a lot about what climatology and all this stuff is all about. It is, in some sense, at least, it's a cult, and in in many ways, it's a. Uh, an end-of-the-world cult, a millennial cult, if you want to think of it like that. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, every millennium cult says, well, this time it's different. This time the world really is going to end. But uh, but we know, purely by the fact we're still here, that their success rate is a precisely a 0.000 as many zeros as you like. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the world ending. I mean, you and I have been around the block a few times, Latimer, and, and to be fair, yeah. you know... We had, we've had it all. We've had the nuclear problem, the nuclear wind. You know, yeah. we were going to get nuclear war, the Cold War, and all that. Then we had um, the the coming ice age in the seventies. Yeah. Then we had yeah. peak oil, and then we had yeah. then we had acid rain that was going to destroy all the forests. Remember? Yep. Um, yeah. And then we were going to have oh good god, there was just so. Much. I, I mean, there was a new there was a new thing every two or three peak, years. Peak oil. I, I was. I was working as a pump jockey in 1972, I think it was, when the first oil crisis yeah. struck, and everybody thought we were going to run out of oil. That was going to be bad. Yeah, and, and then we, we had the Millennium Bug, and then we had, and then we had COVID, and COVID was going to kill us all, and it hasn't either. So, yeah, in many ways, you know, net zero is a response to a cult of a millennial. Yeah, and we can see by Greta's degree, we it almost, it's almost confirming it for us that, that they couldn't give her a degree in physics so they gave her a degree <laughs> in theology. Yeah. And it's only an honorary one anyway. Yeah, but, but see when they, see when they yeah. give you sorry, see when they give you an honorary degree. And uh, I am not terribly up on it, um having actually fought for my own degrees. But when they give <laughs> when they give you an honorary degree, doesn't it tend to be in philosophy rather than theology? Um, it's probably called a Doctor of Philosophy in Theology or so. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, a, a PhD is the PhD bit of a PhD or a DPhil is, is philosophy. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think. Anyway, so look, look, I'll put, might move on a little bit from religion to, um, yeah. 
the senior side of life, which is commerce. And commercial people have been interested in net zero as well. Mm. There's been two recent developments I thought were quite interesting. And way back when, all the insurance companies got together and they say, or a lot of the big insurance companies said, what we'll do is we will change the world and save the world by giving preferential rates to people who are working towards net zero and penalizing people who aren't working towards net zero. By doing so, we will change the world and we will be heroes and so forth. Yeah. Which, and that's called the Net Zero Alliance. Okay. And that's worked very well. And they've all been you know, patting each other on the back, telling each other what good guys they were. Until in America, somebody actually noticed this thing called the antitrust law. Uh huh. Yeah. I don't know if you know much about these. Antitrust laws are really the comp- anti. Anti, uh, anti-competitive laws in America, yeah. and they are quite tough. Then Microsoft, like something... sorry, didn't Microsoft fall foul of this, and they were almost going to break the company up at one point? Yep. Yeah, yeah. And uh, IBM did way back when. I know that back in the fifties they were there, yeah. and they're tough laws. You can go, you can go to jail for antitrust. It's not just a ten thousand pound fine and slap on the wrist and a you can't be a director for three months. This yeah. is you know you go to jail and it'll be a nasty jail with some nasty people. So don't do it. And some of the American states have started saying to the Net Zero Alliance, actually, you guys. We're going to sue you for, or we potentially might sue you for antitrust. And if you lose, you're going to jail. And suddenly the antitrust alliance has fallen apart. I think half their members have left in the last couple of weeks. And to all intents and purposes, it's dead. And it's dead because I think, remember we talked some time ago about the guy in Ireland who said an emergency is such a an intoxicating thing that you think you can get away with not doing due process of law. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Justice Hardiman, I haven't quite got his quote right. But I think they were thinking that, well, net zero is such an emergency, we can get away with not worrying about antitrust laws. And some guys in some American states saying, well, actually, boys, you can't. And that's an encouraging sign that, again, you know, business getting involved in net zero and changing the world really isn't a very good idea because they're not very good at it for it. Yeah. And the second thing is there's been the idea of ESG, that's uh, Environmental, Societal and Governance. Yeah, yeah. Which also comes from the investment management side of the house. And they, yeah, BlackRock kind of and Vanguard. BlackRock particularly, yeah, but, yeah. but they, they probably started it. But everybody's jumped on this bandwagon. And their idea is saying, well, if we have the right mix of social mix of people on our boards and minorities and whatever, and we all work towards net zero and we don't give any money to those nasty fossil fuel people, and all those good things will happen, then we will be very successful companies, we will make lots of money, and we will save the world. Yeah. A lot of people have... It, it's like the, the sort of second phase of what they used to call ethical investment. Yeah. Think of that. Yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit and like... And a lot of people... It's one of these fads, isn't it, like investors and people and well, all that? Well, exactly. Yeah. A lot of people have, um, a lot of people have fallen, gone to this bandwagon. What a lovely thing! Not only can we be rich, we can save the world as well. So if you can do both, that's a fantastic. Yeah, hasn't worked um, out well two though. Things, two two things happen. One, they discovered that actually by not investing in fossil fuels, they've missed out on all the big money in the last two or three years. Mm-hmm. So the returns on the ESG investments are worse than the returns on quotes conventional investments. And number two. 
a lot of the American, a lot of the big American investment companies are propped up by pension funds. And a lot of the pension funds come from government employees, and the government employees and the states that, that administer these things have been basically saying, "Hang on a minute, guys. Your job is to make us money. Your job not to change the world. If, you, if you're saying you're doing something else, we're not investing with you." So there's been a big divestment away from, from ESG, and they're just saying, well, we're not going to do business with you. Yeah. And when you know, quite a large chunk of your customer base says, well, if that's your plans, we're not involved, then that starts to fall apart as well. And people might start to think it's like the, do you remember 2008, the, the big crash? Yeah. And how that all, that all started because the bankers forgot how to do banking and thought they were social engineers and lending money to people who couldn't possibly afford to pay it so they could buy houses, which might sound a wonderfully good, you know, social thing to do, but it's not the job of a banker to do it because, again, they're not very good at it, and they forgot how to be bankers and suddenly discovered that their books were littered with these terribly bad risks, which if they'd been doing banking, they'd have noticed way back when they were terribly bad risks. They were all coming as a big, nasty shock. Yeah. So ESG and the Net Zero Alliance, all those things are just slowly fading away. It'll take a while to go. They've been you know, big, powerful people and so forth. Yeah, and they passed their boot. Yeah, the, and the companies that have gone down the ESG route, like, I mean, the, some of the big ones certainly um, have found it doesn't work for them. Like Netflix, they lost a, an incredible amount of subscribers. Yeah. They've had to turn around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think Disney's probably in the throes yeah. of it just now. And and yeah. Shell, Shell recently, um, in fact, over the last couple of days, said um, we're actually going back to our core business, which is fossil fuels, because we're losing shareholders. Oh, I hadn't seen the one about Shell. I, yeah. I was... Yeah. I was riding my bike through BP's research labs on Sunday and I was thinking about this stuff. And, uh, yeah, it's all, all, all very interesting. What, what's happening is people are, are going back. Do you remember the old, uh, the old French saying, um, go back to your sheep? You know, go back to doing what you're supposed to be doing rather than carrying on doing all this other stuff which you're not yeah. and you're not very good at. If you want to be a social engineer, it's very unlikely that you spent six years at Harvard learning to be an investment manager. You, you're doing the wrong stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Now, so that's commerce. We've done religion and commerce. There's not much left, so let's go into politics oh, and, and look gosh. at what's going on there. Okay. And let's go and look at our friends in Germany, oh. which is always an instructive firm. Guys in Germany got themselves in a terrible problem over energy and net zero and so forth oh, because yeah. they've done a lot. And at almost every step when you think, how could you do this worse, they go away and do it worse. Uh -huh. So yeah. the, first thing that, the first thing they did was to rely on nice Mr. Putin always sending them gas. Yeah. And thinking, therefore, they well, didn't have to worry at all about their indigenous supplies or whatever. But well, you, you do realize, stop sending them Well, gas. it hasn't really, because they're still getting Russian gas. And they still, yeah, get, it, they, they still get it through the pipeline. Through Ukraine. Oh, right. Oh, I thought no, I thought well, that had been blown up. Yeah, the Nord Stream was blown up, right? But there oh, is a, right. there's a pipeline goes through Ukraine. In fact, it came up in the news a couple of days ago because the um, the deal is up for renewal, right, between Russia and Ukraine for the transit of the gas that goes through Ukraine. And it's still ongoing. So it's a strange war when Cobels, well, Cobels does get around war, doesn't it? I mean, look at IBM well, and Coca-Cola in yeah. Germany, you know? Yeah. 
uh, I hadn't realised there still was some gas flowing. I, yeah. I thought that Germany had done sanctions against well, Mr. Putin because they were a bad person. You were so Yeah, but they, they, you, you're a very bad person. But we'd like your gas, please. Yeah, yeah, they've sanctioned them, but there are certain exceptions, and one of them is the ability to keep their industry going. So they still had to get some gas, and now they're talking about. If the deal isn't renewed with a gas pipeline through Ukraine, Germany's going to have to close down industries. Well, that's that was the bit I was going to come to, but because yeah, they've done that. They then closed. They then decided, for ideological reasons, to close down um, their last three remaining yeah. nuclear power stations. Yeah, they did. That. About the craziest thing you could possibly do. You know, it's like it's like. Um, Throwing away all the food in your larder just because there's a famine. I mean, why do it? Yeah, I, I, I know. Let's let's shut down the 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 one thing we've got that's ninety two percent efficient and rely on everything that's what less than well, well probably less than forty percent efficiency. Exactly, and and make sure we can never use it again. And all in response to Fukushima yeah. in Japan, where yeah. I'm told. I was at a meeting yesterday, and a guy who probably ought to know this stuff told me absolutely nobody died of anything to do with the fact it was a nuclear reactor. That's right. A lot of people died with the fact that it was a, a tsunami, yeah, which is a yeah. very nasty thing. But you and don't get in the evacuation. Yeah, you don't. You don't get many tsunamis in Germany, though. <laughs> no, exactly. But they they wanted to do. So they did all that. They're yeah. digging up their old coal to burn again. They're like they, and as part yeah. of this, and as part of this deal, they've come up the, the the alliance, the coalition government, which is very uneasy coalition of kind of far right and far green people. Yeah, uh, maybe not the far right, the DFD, but the the to the to the righter part of politics rather than and the and the greens. And they come up with the idea that says, well, what we'll do is we'll ban you from having any new gas um, installations at all from the end of the year. Oh, that's so quick. Suddenly at the end of any natural gas usage in Germany, you, you will, if you want heating, you've got to install a heat pump. And they call this the heat hammer, no, which is no. a great... Great name for it. He pumps and of course, work. German politics has gone exactly. German politics has gone absolutely apeshit over this. They're yeah. tearing each other apart. And the Greens, who whose policy this is, uh, their opinion poll ratings has kind of halved from something like twenty five percent, which gets you into government, to twelve percent, which doesn't get you into government. Yeah, and it's been an absolute disaster for them. And they they still don't know what they're going to do about it. They they can't make a policy. They certainly can't make a policy that people are going to accept that says, you guys are all going to freeze in winter unless you put in these heat pumps, which, like in the UK, they're very unpopular and, and they haven't been selling, like, even cold cakes, let alone like hot cakes. Yeah. Well, and we can just watch watch with amazement, as as I think you mentioned earlier, a lot of German industries are saying, well, thanks a lot, mate, we're off. Well, BASF. This, this is no longer a... Yeah. BAS this is no longer a country we wish to invest in. BA, BASF, Germany's biggest chemical yeah. manufacturer, has already relocated to China because it couldn't it afford the electricity relocated. prices in Germany. Yeah, exactly. And and there's big bribes going in the on in the USA as well for and people are talking about going there. Yeah. And and Germany, as you know, is part of the probably the, the one of the major countries in the European Union. And the European Union is not much better off in terms of its policies either. Yeah. Every time it comes up with a, 
the typical European Commission idea of, well, let's ban something from next week or whatever it is, because it seems to be all they ever do is ban things. There's always one country or other that pops up and says, no, you can't. And Poland is one, for example, on yeah. banning coal. Italy is getting really excited about banning motor cars, as in combustion engines, and so forth and so on. And these guys, net zero is tearing them apart as well. Yeah, And that's going on everywhere you look. Net zero is just such an impractical idea that when they signed up for it, they never thought through the consequences. And that was extremely foolish because you don't have to be a genius to have thought, you know, spend more than half a day thinking about this stuff to realise that there's some very difficult problems along the way. Yeah, yeah, I know. So let's return to our, to our domestic shores, to uh, to the UK, where obviously everything is calm and tranquil and net zero is proceeding <laughs> happily along towards 2050. All sort of maybe it isn't. And, and a number of things have happened in the last couple of weeks that I found very interesting. I think the biggest one is that Boris Johnson, who was a very keen net zeroite, when he was the Prime Minister, has uh, resigned now as an MP. Yep. And we can think that three years ago, in your own city of Glasgow, there was the big climate conference, yep. Johnson stood astride it, master of all he surveyed, saying, we will bring about the end of coal. We're, coal is on its last legs. And the war and on like, cash. Yes, well, leave, leave that aside for a minute. Yeah. And yesterday we saw the edifying thing where they... The national grid said, uh, excuse me, our last remaining coal-fired power station, please could you start up because our solar panels don't work well enough in a heat way, which it, I thought was hilarious. How does that work? I mean, I thought, well, well I suppose the, the, does the efficiency drop as the heat goes up? Yes. Yeah. 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 They are, they're less. Uh, and by the way, we've, we've got the heat wave even when it's dark. And, and the, the apparent reason was that the solar wasn't doing what it was supposed to be doing. The, the, it was dropping off too quickly or something. So here we are at the hottest day probably of the year, yeah. the height of summer, so the maximum amount of solar power you would expect to get. And they have to fire up a coal-fired coal power station to cover for it. Well, Which I think is just absolutely brilliant. Yeah, so it's probably a combination of circumstances because... Because it's so hot, yeah. there's probably a bigger draw on the grid, you know, for aircon and things like that for those lucky. Oh yeah, I'm for, sure those, for those lucky people and businesses that can afford it. And the other thing, yeah. as, as you were saying, yes, while we have a, a high sun and and loads off it, um, electrical electrical things generally do drop off. Um, when the heat goes up, don't they? They're not as efficient. Well, as as we just found out, in fact, yes, yeah, true. Warm, warm and electrical don't go very well uh, in many ways. And and extreme so cold and electrical don't go very well either, because you know the the uh, range on your electric car plummets in the winter, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, true. True. Yes, I haven't thought of that. Yeah. The little, the little electrons in the battery don't fizz about so quick when when it's very cold. Yeah. So anyway, I just thought it was really funny that, that there we are, Boris Johnson announced the death of coal, and three three years later, well, he's the one who's disappeared without trace, at least, mm. and um, coal continues to be saving the day. And but then the gonna, net zero is full of the law of unintended consequences, I think. What are they going to do next year? Because they're going to they're gonna knock that power plant down, aren't they? Well, that's what they talk about. Mm. 
I wonder I wonder if there will be some last minute deal reprieve because people are backing away rapidly from net zero is saying this this really isn't a very good idea. Yeah. Uh, hopefully people will come to their senses. Well maybe. The other one that I noticed was that the leader and only MP for the Green Party in Parliament, Caroline Lucas, has said she will be standing down at the next election, which is fair enough. She's done a stint and so forth, and, and it must be quite a tough job being the only MP in Parliament for your party. Yeah. But the reason she gave was she wanted to concentrate on fighting climate change. Mm. And I thought, if you think you can do better fighting climate change not being the leader of your your party in Parliament, I'm wondering what it is she thinks she's going to be doing. Yeah. Maybe she'll be yeah. out walking along the road slowly. Well, indeed, I'm not sure that helps. I think that just aggravates people. I think they're, yeah. they're, they're just stop oil and just stop... just their own worst enemy in many ways. Well, uh, yeah, there's a whole rabbit hole around them as well because some of their funding oh, sources talk- are a little dubious. Oh, yeah, a bit dubious. Yeah. But the other one, John, and you probably know much more about it than I do, is the um, the state of the Scottish oil industry and what's going to happen to it. And let, let me tell you what I think, and then you, with your local knowledge, can tell me where I'm wrong. But I think that what happened was nearly 10 years ago, Alex Salmond, who was the leader of the Scottish National Party, told the people of Scotland that all they needed to do was to gain independence from England... Yeah, lay their hands on all that lovely oil and gas right off their shores, so the Scottish oil and gas, and they would now be rich and uh, independent and continue as a happy, independent nation. And I could understand that. I might not have agreed with it, but I could see it as a logical proposition. It made a lot of sense. Yeah, well... So now along comes... Yeah, okay, go on, sorry. And, And now, 10 years later, the Scottish National Party is on its knees for for all a number of self-generated reasons, not least of which was Alex Salmond himself uh, being prosecuted for something or other and a, a sort of civil war breaking out. But the second, with it on its knees, the Labour Party, who are the main rivals in Scotland, announced that they are going to kill the Scottish oil and gas industry. And I just cannot possibly understand why on earth you would want to do that. You've got your opponents on your knees. Yeah. And you then commit suicide yourself. I mean, why? Well, it, it's, a bit, more. it's a bit... Uh, I'm not... I'm actually not that up on it, to be fair, but it, okay. it's, a, it's a bit strange because what Alex Salmond was saying about the Scottish oil and gas industry was never going to fly anyway because we'd already... Okay. We'd already locked ourselves into long-term licences with the big companies, you know, Shell, BP... Um, you know, American companies and whatever. So, so, you know, Scotland was only getting a proportion of the revenue, not like Norway, who were a lot smarter about it and then took the okay. money and used it to build their country up. So the UK right. the UK basically sold licences and, and took a tax hit on them. But, yeah. you know, so... Um, that that probably wasn't going to work anyway because the contracts were already written and they were with the UK. So how were you going to transfer them over to Scotland? Because you know, it's, it, it would it would have been messy, very very messy. Yeah. Um, well, I can I can see it would have been messy, but I could, I could also see it would have been possible to yeah. say as a, as an independent country, this is our oil and those licences, therefore. 
But everybody thought oil. Everybody thought the North Sea was drying up. Everybody thought there was no oil left, and yet there, there's there's oil out there galore, and there's oil there's oil out there on the west coast as well. It's just in deeper water, mm. so it's, they, yeah. they don't want to drill for it because it's economically expensive to get to it just now. But obviously, if oil keeps going up in price, then at some point it will be a viable way of getting to it. But, um, you know, I don't understand because Labour seem to do the same in, in England as well. When they're doing well, they, they do something stupid that shoots themselves in the foot, you know? Well, indeed. I mean, I, I, I'm no Labour Party supporter, but even I, can, even I can sit there and say, why are you doing this to yourself? Why are you, why are you effectively kicking your loyal supporters right in the ghoulies? It's, you would expect you know, yeah. oil rig workers to be pretty solid labour people and the trades unions. The trades unions are up in arms. But yeah, I know. The I trades know. unions are the people who pay for the Labour Party. So you, you're killing the goose. That and what gets me is you get, you get like um, Glasgow City Council, which is an SNP council, right? Yeah. It's in a, a ULES scheme. And it's horrendous as well because people get well, fined. They, they get fined sixty quid for their first offence, and then it just keeps it doubles after that or whatever. But anyway, horrendous scheme. And then find out that one third of Glasgow City Council's vehicles don't actually comply with it. So they're now hiring vehicles that comply with their own ULES scheme, so they don't get fined. <laughs> For driving their own vehicles in their own city. I mean, right. this this is nuts. This is the kind of yeah. people that are running a they're running a country. They're running it into the ground. Yeah. That's what they're doing. And and it and, seems and, to be. It seems to me that every government in the UK, you know, devolved or central, seems to be trying to get themselves out of power rather than keeping themselves in it. Well, certainly. The more they do net zero, the more they piss off everybody and the less likely they are to be in power. Yeah. And there was a very decent piece, I think somebody wrote last week, which basically said, for the first party, whoever it is who at least says, hang on a minute, we're going to slow, we formally says we are going to slow down on net zero because it's a load of bunkum, uh, is going to get a big electoral boost. Yeah. Because I should think going around saying, actually, we're not going to do what these just stop oil idiots say. We're not going to take away your petrol car. We're not going to bring an axe and break up your gas central heating. We might be going to work sensibly towards a better environment, and a lot of people would agree with that. But we're going to do it without causing you £100,000 worth of pain and taking away your freedom to go on holiday and whatever it might be. Then there is a huge electoral prize to be won. While, yeah. your, while your opponents are floundering with it, this, this mill, net zero millstone around their necks, which they voluntarily put there. Or that, that, as we started off, you know, they're up the top of this drain pipe and they're desperately trying to reverse ferret their way out of it. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think you're right. Um, I think corporately, most companies are just going to keep their head firmly in the sand, say they're doing it until the last possible oh, yeah. minute. Um, so they'll they'll hope yeah. it's just going to peter out and it'll, it'll be, you know, in yeah. te 10 or 20 years' time, it'll be some other, it'll be something different, you know, and they'll never, ever have to address yeah. it. Um, politically, yeah. they've kind of backed themselves into a corner, haven't they, really? So, oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it's like backing themselves into a wall with a firing squad in front of you and mm -hmm. leap, leaping up in front of the firing squad and saying, shoot me, shoot me. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I don't know how they're going to get out of it, to be fair. But it's, it's all, they're, they're kind of linked themselves in, as you mentioned earlier, with ESG. And I mean, and there's, mm. there's so many. I mean, it, it, I'm, Sorry. I've got two theories. One of which is it'll just carry on fading away. Mm -hmm. you know, so it'll go out with a whimper. And the other one is it will be a bit like the Berlin Wall, that suddenly something will happen. I don't know what it is, but th but there will be a an event of sufficient magnitude that, I don't know, something will happen on Saturday and round about Wednesday, every country in the world says, well, that's it for net zero, and then back to normal. Well, you know what that event would be? Uh, I can that would, some that would be unpleasant thoughts about yeah. Um, about it yeah and 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 the us and the uk are probably stirring towards that more than anyone which is effectively a a, a, a third world war yeah well it's a, that, that would be a, another solution to the net zero problem but yeah uh, it would yeah yeah but don't think that would necessarily be the one that i'd favor i think just fading out with a with a whimper would yeah. be good enough yeah i i, I would Not prefer that all. i would certainly prefer that yeah, I think we all would, wouldn't we? Yeah. And let's do our best to uh, help it on its way. And I think our little discussions and Twitter and all those things mm -hmm. really are beginning to have an impact. And people are starting to wake up and saying, why are we doing this stuff? And if we are doing this stuff, why are we doing it so badly? <laughs> yeah, I think I think, I think think you're right. I think it's important to continue these discussions. And it's, it, it's not because the climate scientists aren't going to change their mind. It, it's the, the regular people that... I've been kind of hoodwinked, and maybe they're starting to think, "Well, hold on, maybe, maybe there's not. It's not quite as cut and dried as they said." And you know, I, what was it? It was, um, it was Einstein. It was Einstein that said when, um, when, when Nazi Germany um, published, um, they had a hundred, they had a hundred scientists that disagreed with Einstein, um, and they published this oh, in, yeah. in a paper. And and Einstein said, yes. "You don't need a hundred scientists to disagree with me to prove me wrong. You only need one fact." Yeah, exactly right. But the, the climate scientists aren't going to change the climate science, but it's our climate too. It's not. It doesn't belong to them. Yeah, their opinion of what we ought to do. Well, that's fine. They're, they're you know knowledgeable people, but it's your climate and it's my climate and it's my auntie's climate and it's the girl down the road climate as well so we shouldn't let the climate scientists become the high priests of everything that we do because just because they've got a model that says i don't know some you know sea level's going to rise a foot in 100 years well big deal yeah yeah right that's all i had to say john yep and i i'd like to say thank you for that i think it's been a very interesting and illuminating conversation uh,